0: Tonight, God's Word comes to us from the prophet Jonah, the prophet Jonah, and we're going to read the third and fourth chapter of this book together. Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's Word. and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Here, we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, last week, we looked at the prophet Obadiah. And I suggested that Obadiah was probably the most minor of the minor prophets. It is the shortest prophet, is the least known of the prophets. Tonight, I would suggest we're coming to the most major of the minor prophets, one of the most well-known Who doesn't know the story of Jonah and the whale? Who doesn't know the story of Jonah being swallowed up by this whale? We know it was a great fish, but people call it Jonah and the whale. Even even unbelievers know that story. It's, It's mythical of this man being swallowed up by this great whale. We did not look at that text this evening, the first half of the book, because I don't think that's really the heart of what the prophecy of Jonah is about. In fact, Jonah's interaction with the the whale, with the great fish, is only mentioned in three verses in the book. The end of chapter one, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then the first and last verse of chapter two, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish and chapter, and verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. Only three verses about Jonah and the whale. And if we begin to focus on that, it starts to raise all kinds of questions we may not have answers to. Is there really a fish big enough to swallow a man? Uh, it's not necessarily the problem of the fish, it's the problem of the fish's throat. A fish's throat's not that big. Is there a fish's throat big enough to swallow a man? And if, even if that was true, could a man survive inside a fish for a number of days? Well, about, uh, about 100 years ago or so, in 1891, there was a fishing expedition that went out one of the sailors ended up falling overboard. They could not find him in the water. And over a day later, they caught a fish. And inside was the man alive yet. So it is possible for a fish big enough to swallow a man, and it's possible to survive inside a fish like that. If we focus on Jonah and the whale, we begin to say, you know, There's so many things that just make this seem improbable. Is this story really history? Did this story really happen? Or is the point of Jonah simply its teaching content? Whether it happened or not really isn't important, but the the teaching content is what matters. I can assure you, Jonah is historical. It is factual. Uh, It is not just a teaching tool. But it it is a a, a faithful record of what God did in the life of his prophet Jonah. The book of Jonah is really about two main themes. The first main theme of Jonah is God's providence and his sovereignty over all things. We see that in the first two chapters, but even in our chapter tonight, notice how many times it says God appointed. Verse 6 of chapter 4, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. Verse 7, God appointed a worm to attack the plant. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. God's control, God's sovereignty over all things. That's one main theme of Jonah. The second main theme, and the theme we are going to focus on tonight, is it is a book about God's mercy. It is a book about God's compassion. It is a book about God's care for people. We see that already in the first two chapters. Again, we didn't read those tonight. But you perhaps remember in that story in chapter 1 when the great storm came up and Jonah said to the sailors, throw me overboard. They said, oh, no, no, we can't do that because we're afraid God will be angry at us. But they do it. And then they make a sacrifice to God, and God receives the sacrifice. Jonah himself was the recipient of God's grace, in that when he was thrown overboard, there was this fish to swallow him up. It's a a book about the mercy of God, particularly his mercy toward Nineveh. We begin with chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Jonah is called to bring a message to Nineveh, a message from God himself. Jonah wasn't supposed to go and give his opinion about what was going on in Nineveh, but this is the message that would come from God. And and he brings that message to Nineveh. Look how Nineveh is described, verse 3. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breath. This is no small town. This is a city It takes three days to get through. Uh, Nineveh is mentioned elsewhere in scripture, mentioned already in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 10, we're told the story of a great warrior a man named Nimrod, a mighty warrior before the Lord. And Nimrod builds the city of Nineveh. Nineveh, that would become the capital of the Assyrian Empire. This is a major metropolis, a city that was three days to walk through it. Jonah brings God's message to Nineveh. And what was that message from God, verse 4? Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was the message God told him to bring. A message of warning of God's judgment a mere forty days from now. Jonah doesn't water down the message. That's kind of a harsh way to begin uh, 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 introducing people to God. Yet 40 days will be destroyed. Jonah doesn't come and say, you know what? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's not his message. That's not where he begins. God says to this great city, to this wicked city, You're to bring a message of judgment. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. He doesn't come with a message. God wants to prosper you. God wants to bless you. If only you'll put your trust in him. Yet 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the message God gave him to bring. And I can't help but think, Jonah may have enjoyed that message. Think of who these people are. This is Nineveh. This is Assyria. This is those who were the oppressors of God's people. And so God's enemies are going to fall under the condemnation of God. Jonah comes and says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the divine message he is called to bring doesn't pull any punches, doesn't sugarcoat it. God's judgment is coming. what happens when he brings that simple, clear message? Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Amazing. He comes with this harsh word, This difficult word, God's going to come and judge you 40 days, that's all, and you'll be overthrown. And amazingly, the people believe God and act on their belief. They called for a fast and put put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The people do this. The king does this. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh And he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, a picture of repentance. And... He issued a proclamation, published it through Nineveh, by the decree of the king, let not man or beast, herd or flock, eat anything, not food or drink. They they fasted to show their sorrow, but let everyone be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence of his hand. The king says, we have to repent. We have to change. God's judgment is coming. He says in verse nine, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When I read this story, I know I shouldn't be. But I'm still surprised. I'm surprised at this reaction. Jonah comes declares the word of god and people repent he declares the word of judgment and people repent so often we want to to water down the message to make it more palatable to people but god is a righteous god and he will come with just judgment and i I sometimes think i'm afraid to bring that message how will it be perceived but that that clarity of who God is and what he does. Surprised that God would bring about this response. This is the message that God uses. I shouldn't be surprised. I shouldn't be surprised. But whenever I read this story, I'm once again amazed. This is how God works. And we see see how God responds. I shouldn't be surprised at this either. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way god relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them and he did not do it this should not surprise us that when people call out repent of their sins change their ways god does hear and god does answer. He relents from the judgment he had said he would bring. Now, some would say, well, look, we can't trust the word of God. God says, I'm going to bring judgment, and then he changes his mind. God's kind of willy-nilly. We may not read this word of prophecy in isolation from every other word of prophecy. God's word is true. We read this prophecy In the light of the prophecy God gave by another one of his prophets, the prophet Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 18, we read this. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and bring down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil... I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do. God is simply being faithful to His Word. God is being faithful to Himself. He has said, yes, I will come in judgment, but when they repent, when they turn, I'll be faithful to that promise too. And I will not bring the judgment upon them that I had warned. We should not be surprised that God is merciful We should not be surprised that God is gracious. We should not be surprised when His Word accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent, people repent, and God recognizes that repentance and relents of His judgment. What we should be surprised at is Jonah's response. Jonah brings the message, the people hear and repent, chapter 4, verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. That should surprise us. An amazing response. Here's a preacher who comes and gives a message, and the people actually listen and change their ways, and he's angry about it. This is every minister's dream. That when we bring the word of God, uh, the Holy Spirit applies that to our hearts, to our lives, and we change the way that we live. We should be surprised at Jonah's response. And in fact, Jonah is angry and he blames God. For what's going on verse 2 of chapter 4 and he prayed to the Lord and said oh Lord is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country is this not why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew you were a gracious God and a merciful God I knew you were slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster these are things we hold on to <laughs> these are things we embrace of who God is but Jonah is angry, angry that God is faithful to his character, faithful to to who he is. This should surprise us, this type of response. In fact, Jonah is so upset he wishes he could die. Verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He should have rejoiced. He should have praised God, that God continued to be faithful to his word of grace and his word of mercy. Jonah himself had experienced that. Jonah himself had experienced the mercy of God in salvation. Jonah, back in chapters 1 and 2, as you perhaps remember, was thrown overboard, was thrown into the raging sea, and God rescued him. God saved him by means of this great fish. And in chapter two, we have this prayer of Jonah. And I think, when I was growing up, and I thought about Jonah praying from inside the fish, I thought Jonah was praying, hey, get me out of this fish. You know, that that would have been what I would pray. It's not what Jonah prays. Jonah prays, thank you, God, for saving me already. Look in chapter 2, verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed over me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah, inside the big fish, prays a prayer of thanksgiving for God's deliverance already. He ends that prayer, chapter two, verse nine. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He himself had experienced the grace and mercy of God thrown into the waters, thrown into the deep, going down, the seaweed wrapping around him, and God rescued him. He was a recipient of the mercy that he now uh, holds against God's gift to the city of nineveh amazing and this this reaction of jonah sets up what i believe is the lesson of this prophet it sets up sets up the lesson of the mercy of god we go on in the story chapter 4 verse 5 jonah went out of the city sat to the east side of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under its shade till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah's gonna wait, he's gonna step back, wait, maybe hope God would still show his vengeance, show his judgment, and God, God appoints, we read, the Lord God appointed a plant that came up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort, a plant that would give cooling shade in the desert. A plant appointed by a powerful, sovereign God. A plant that comes, and we read uh, in verse end of verse six there. Now the Lord God appointed the plant, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. This is the first time in the book we read about Jonah being glad. He's exceedingly glad because of the plant, because he now has comfort in the shade. But what happens? Verse 7, but when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed, sovereignly, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. And then, When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so he was faint, and he asked that he might die. It is better for me to die than to live. And when Jonah is brought to this point, it's better to be dead. I've lost this plant because of the worm. I'm here in the sun. I'd rather be dead. God comes to bring the true lesson, the true message to the prophet and for the prophet. And kids, if if I can summarize it this way, I've tried to give you some easy ways to remember these books. Here's an easy one sentence about the book of Jonah. Jonah cared about a plant. God cared about a people. That's my summary of the book of Jonah. Jonah cared about a plant. God cared about a people. Jonah is angry. He wants to die, and God comes to him in verse 9. God says, uh, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perish in a night. You feel sorry for a plant, Jonah. Should I not pity Nineveh? a great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know right from wrong. Shouldn't I care about them? Jonah's concern is for a plant, something he had nothing to do with, something that came up of its own and died of its own. He's concerned about that. God is concerned because wicked people had responded to his word. Those those outside the covenant people, this is not Israelite, this is Assyria. Jonah is concerned with his comfort, I want to be in the shade. God is concerned about life. About life for those who had heard his message and responded in repentance and in faith. And it's there, it's in that Message Jonah cared about a plant. God cared about a people. That I find myself at times caught up short. What am I most concerned about? Am I concerned primarily about my comfort? Am I concerned about things not significant for eternal life? Is my concern for a plant, for something transient, something temporary, or is my concern for a people? It's easy for us to be caught up with trivialities. It's easy for us to be concerned with our own comfort, with our own ease, when we should be concerned for a people, particularly For a people who are as of yet outside the people of God. A people who justly stand under God's condemnation. And our concern should not, first of all, be what makes me most comfortable. But do I have a love and concern for those who do not know Christ? And a willingness, even if it is uncomfortable for me, to share that wonderful truth. Not concerned about the plant, my own, my own comfort and ease, but being willing to go to my coworker, perhaps to my family member who does not know Christ, and to share that warning. God is going to come in judgment. Death is not the end. There is an eternity spent with the Lord or an eternity spent away from the Lord. And yet too often, I think, Too often, rather than sharing that sometimes difficult message, we're more concerned with our own comfort. We're concerned about the plant and not about the people. God calls us once again this evening. If you are here tonight, if you are still living in Nineveh, he warns you, there is a final judgment coming. Place your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way, that is the only way to withstand the judgment of God. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. God will come and destroy all of those outside of his church. This book is a a warning to us to be concerned about those outside. It's a warning to us who are in the covenant people not to be complacent not to get too comfortable with where we are, not to be concerned about the insignificant things of life, not to be concerned about the plant, but more about our people, those who have not yet heard. Jonah had received mercy. We have received the mercy of God. We are those who have been saved from an eternal death away from God, like being in the water, going down to the grave. God has rescued us. Should we not with joy share that same message with those around us? I know sometimes we work with somebody, a coworker, or a neighbor or just an acquaintance and we try to share the gospel and try to share the gospel and they never seem to respond and we throw up our hands and say, it would take a miracle for God to save this person. Don't ever forget. It took a miracle for God to save each and every one of us the miracle of his grace, the miracle of his mercy. God cares about a people. Jonah, not just a story of Jonah and the whale. A story of the mercy, the compassion, the love of God. Yes, he will come in judgment. And the warning goes out, it goes out again this evening. But for all who repent, for all who put their faith in Jesus Christ, we will be brought through that judgment. What are we most concerned about? About a lost people in a city around us? Or about our comfort? About our ease? About the plant? Are you concerned for a plant or concerned for a people? Let's join together in prayer. Lord, our God, we thank you for this wonderful prophet. We thank you for the message that he brings, the fullness of that message. You are a God who is merciful, who is gracious, who is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Lord God, if we ever get complacent about that message, if we're ever more concerned about the plant than the people, forgive us. Open our mouths to speak your wonderful word, a word of mercy and grace and compassion, a word of warning of coming judgment, that you might continue to bring in each and every one of your own. Use us, O God, in that glorious purpose. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to turn to number 142 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Number 142, I cry for mercy to the Lord. To him I lift my voice in prayer. Before the Lord I bring my plea. To him my trouble I declare. I cry to you, O Lord my God. I say to you amid my strife, you are my trust, my hiding place, my portion. In the land of life. We're going to sing verses 1 and then 4, 5, and 6. Verses 1, 4, 5, and 6 of 142. Let's stand together as we sing. Receive the parting blessing of our God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.